0: You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, UPC.org. The Gospels run right into your neighborhood. Now, it's, it's important to realize that the Gospels are about a historical event, life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that they are contained in a book that has Uh, great historical significance. And yet, that's not all there is. The Gospels continue on to this day. And we shouldn't be surprised about that. We shouldn't be surprised that if the grave could not detain Jesus Christ, then no book could contain him either. See, Jesus Christ is alive. He's here. He's still active in the world. That's the good news of today that's continuing on and that's continuing in to our neighborhoods. John 1.14, the beginning of, of his gospel, says this in the words of the message, a translation, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And Jesus continues to this day to move into the neighborhoods of this creation. He's still moving in. We're beginning a new series in the book of Acts, and you may know that the book of Acts is the second of a two-part work. Luke is the author, and Luke, of course, has written one of the Gospels, and it's bound with the Gospels, unfortunately disassociated in the canonical order from the book of Acts. But it's a two-part work, and it should be understood together. And the significance of that is that what Jesus began in the gospel, he continues to do in the book of Acts. And I want to suggest to you even today. Luke and Acts, these two works are actually a correspondence. We read at the introductions to both. There's a man named Luke who's writing an account of the events of Jesus's life to a man named Theophilus, probably a Roman uh, citizen, uh, a Greek reader, and and the sense we get is that Luke and Theophilus know that the story of Jesus, the adventure of his life, isn't just for the pages of the gospel, isn't just for the pages of the book of Acts, but it's for their lives as well. It's almost as though you could catch Luke whispering in the ear of Theophilus as we read the tingling excitement, this is for us, this is for us. Today, here where we are. Luke writes probably 30, 33 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, mid-60s A.D. And he probably writes from Rome, and Theophilus himself may also be in Rome. Neither of these two were eyewitnesses to the risen Jesus Christ. Neither of these two were apostles. And so there you go. Somebody who wasn't a part of the original story can find significance uh, for them. And it's interesting, the first verse of the book of Acts gives us a very strong clue as to what it's about. In Luke's mind, anyways, the book of Acts begins this way. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven. Now, uh, other translations give us a better rendering of the Greek there. They say, In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. You catch that? The gospel, the first book, Luke is saying, is about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. The implication is this next book, what we call the Acts of the Apostles, is therefore about all that Jesus continued to do and to teach. Even though Jesus only appears visibly in this story in the first chapter, yet Jesus is working through every page of the book of Acts and beyond. Because the work of Jesus we find in this first chapter will not be completed until Jesus returns and it will not be completed until it reaches the ends of the earth. It will move generation by generation, neighborhood by neighborhood until it comes to fulfillment at the ends of the earth. In fact, we get a good outline of the book of Acts. If you're going to follow along with us right here in verse eight, first chapter, Jesus himself gives us the outline of the book of Acts. He says, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Now, by the way, that's where they are when Jesus says this. They're they're actually on the Mount of Olives, above where uh, Jesus was arrested, in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is directly across the valley from Jerusalem. So they're looking at Jerusalem when Jesus says this in Acts one eight. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. He starts with where their feet are. And then he says, in all Judea and Samaria. And then he says, even to the remotest ends of the earth. Yes, Seattle and beyond. This is a story that continues. This is an adventure that moves into your neighborhood and mine. Well, let's look at this text together. Would you open up your Bible to Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. You'll find that page 884. And if you're able, would you stand with me and let's read God's word aloud together. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. And when we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. If you're like me, then you will find yourself oftentimes missing the adventure of Jesus missing what it is that Jesus continues to do and to teach through his community today and there are two reasons for that the first reason is that i oftentimes confuse an adventure that is for me with one that is about me that's a difference and the second reason is that i oftentimes confuse an adventure that is spiritual with one that is spectacular and I'd like to look at those two confusions with you. The first, the confusion, that the, an adventure that is for me uh, with one that is about me. See, the adventure with Jesus is for me and it's for you. But no, it's not about us. It's much bigger than that. It's sometimes you and I learn to live in a world that is way too small. See, these apostles, they think this is about them. I, the first five verses of the book of Acts, or actually a recapitulation of the ending of the gospel of Luke. So really, the book of Acts begins in verse 6, and it begins with a question. They've come together, uh, Luke tells us, and then the apostles, 12 followers of Jesus, 11 at this moment, say, Lord, is this the time when you'll restore the kingdom to Israel? That's their question. And you can kind of catch the implication. Lord, this would be the right time to restore the kingdom to Israel. Right? You catch it? A little bit of advice. And, you know, we all know that Jesus sometimes benefits from a little bit of advice. <laughs> and so it's almost ironic that they say, Lord, because really they turned Jesus into uh, a client of theirs. And, and, um,. Or really, they're the client and he's a service provider. Lord, this would be a good time for you to fulfill our plan. Like all the talk about your power, but I'd like to enlist your power on my plan. See that they think it's about them and they get confused. Their world is so small at this moment. We get another indication of this when at the end of the text, these two men in white who are presumably angels Address them, and the angels they address them as men of Galilee. Now, Galilee is a small, parochial province in northern Palestine, relatively insignificant. But you know that's where they're from; that's their hometown, Galilee, and and, and they've known themselves by that world. But it's such a small world compared to the one that Jesus is offering them. Because Jesus has just said to them, you won't be known, in effect, as men of Galilee anymore. Oh, You'll be known as people of Jerusalem, a people of Judea, a greater surrounding area, and Samaria, uh, another area where even our enemies live, even a people whose world is as large as from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. See how large the world is. That Jesus, is. he wants to identify themselves by the vastness of his mission, not by the smallness of their point of origin. Sometimes my world is so small, there's... Not even enough room for anybody but me. It's so small that there's not even space for my wife, my kids, let alone my neighbors, my neighborhood. It's so small that Jesus has to kind of knock and say, is there any space in there for me? Because I I would like to expand your world. I would like to stretch your imagination so that you can understand that your life is about so much more. And what you think it's about, we've got an adventure together. The kind of irony here in this text, the disparity between the smallness of their perception of their world and the expanse that Jesus calls them to, is like the irony in a poem called The Lanyard by our former poet laureate, Billy Collins. And I'd like to read it this morning since it is Mother's Day. The lanyard goes like this. The other day, I was ricocheting slowly off the blue walls of this room, moving as if underwater from typewriter to piano, from bookshelf to an envelope lying on the floor, when I found myself in the L section of the dictionary, where my eyes fell upon the word lanyard. No cookie nimbled by a French novelist could send one of the past more suddenly, a past where I sat at a workbench at a camp by a deep Adirondack lake, learning how to braid long, thin plastic strips into a lanyard, a gift from my mother. I had never seen anyone use a lanyard or wear one, if that's what you did with them, but that did not keep me from crossing strand over strand again and again until I had made a boxy red and white lanyard for my mother. She gave me life and milk from her breasts, and I gave her a lanyard. (laughs) She nursed me in many a sick room, lifted spoons of medicine to my lips, laid cold face cloths on my forehead, and then led me out into the airy light and taught me to walk and swim And I, in turn, presented her with a lanyard. Here are thousands of meals, she said, and here is clothing and a good education, and here is your lanyard, I replied, which I made with a little help from a counselor. Here is a breathing body and a beating heart, strong legs, bones, and teeth, two clear eyes to read the world, she whispered, and here, I said, is the lanyard I made at camp. And here I wish to say to her now, is a smaller gift. Not the worn truth that you can never repay your mother, but the rueful admission that when she took the two-tone lanyard from my hand, I was as sure as a boy could be that this useless, worthless thing I wove out of boredom would be enough to make us even. (laughs) How small are our worlds? My world's so small that... I'm thinking, if I read that Mother's Day poem to you, then that can count as my... And my mom's listening on the radio right now. Then that can count as my call home, right? Love you, Mom. (laughs) That is so small. That's so pathetic. And yet, that's the world in which you and I have grown accustomed to live in. And Jesus goes, wow. Can you be present to me, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ? Can you dream of what you will do with me as I continue to do and to teach what I began in the Gospels. That's what Jesus is offering. And here's really the first point. Jesus invites us to be present to him. That is, after all, what it means that he will send the Holy Spirit upon his followers. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God, the presence of Jesus Christ In our lives. You see, the problem with what they ask of Jesus is that it's just too small. They're saying to Jesus, in effect, with their question, you know, Jesus, do you remember the time back in the day that we read about when there was King David and he was the king over Israel and we'd have these pesky Romans around and, you know, things were pretty good. And uh, wouldn't it be nice to do that now again? You know, can we go back to the past and have that? And Jesus goes, you know, that's too small. The language that he uses here is borrowed from Isaiah, the 8th century B.C. prophet, 800 years prior. God says through Isaiah, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It's too small a thing, what you're asking. For me just to fix your little problem. For me just to come along and put a little spiritual juice into your plan, your program. I want you to think bigger. I want you, I'm not going to give you the kingdom. I'm going to give you the king. And I'm going to assure you that as you go into your neighborhood this week, that you go beside and with the king, he's in you and with you and for you. So Jesus says, abide in me as I abide in you. Be filled with my spirit. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you until the end of the age. Be present to me. That's what Jesus invites. Well, we miss the adventure sometimes of Jesus because we think it's, it's for me. Uh, we th- think it's about me, not just uh, for me. But there's a second reason we miss the adventure, and that's this. He so said, I confuse an adventure that is spiritual with one that is spectacular. Now, there's humor in this text, and it's at the end of the text. I wonder if you catch it. The text ends with the twelve, or the eleven apostles, um, mouths gaping open, and the Greek is quite emphatic here, gazing into heaven. See, Jesus has just gone up like a rocket ship into the clouds, and he's disappeared from sight, and he's gone. But what Luke tells us is they stood there, intently, looking at nothing. Just the clouds. Peter, I don't see him anymore. I think he, was, he was just here a second ago. Wait a minute, you know. Uh, I, I wonder what are they thinking. Is it like, whoa, that is cool? Track him, track him. Or, or is it like, uh oh, there goes that. <laughs> Three years and that's down the toilet. He's just gone. You, know, you see him anymore? No, I think he's gone. You know, But they're, they're fixated on the spectacular, the looking, have a word. And, and, and here's what Luke wants us to notice. He uses that word, it's not translated here, but behold. It's the word of surprise. Look. And they're not looking. Because right beside them, there are these two men who are in blazing white robes. And we guess that they must be angels. They're looking so intently for the spectacular that they do not notice, they're not able to pay attention to what is profound. Right by their side, these two angels are going, <clears throat> <clears throat> "Fellas, over here!" You know, quit looking up there. They call their attention to the wonders of the relatively ordinary world right there around them. I tried to be a witness once to a friend in college. I had this friend named Louis. You know, really liked Louis. Louis's kind of it's just fun to be around. Louis Louis, you know, a little short guy, just a lot of fun, great jokes. And and I was young in my faith. Actually, I think I'm still young in my faith. But I was really young in my faith then. And and I thought, you know, Jesus is doing wonderful things in my life. And I really like Louis. And I would really like Jesus to do wonderful things in his life as well. And so I said, I am going to be a witness to Louis. Now I didn't know a lot about how this worked, but I did know the three Part strategy, right? The first part is you be really, really nice, be a really good person uh, to Louis, right? Not too good because you don't want to be goody-goody good. In fact, you'd like to try to break all the stereotypes of what a Christian is like. So be kind of like a non-Christian good, not uh, too Christian good. Uh, so, but if you're really, really good, then you're kind of like a non-Christian good. Louis. Then here's the second part. Louis is going to notice how good, how nice you are, and is going to have to say someday, "Wow." You are different. There's really something quite different about you that's inexplicable, isn't there? And, and, and so that'd be step two. And then step three is, and you know, you know how this works, right? Step three is when you go, it's Jesus, and you got him. Okay, so that was that was my plan, and we worked on this for a little while. And um, one day the question came. I'm at a party with Louie, a bunch of our friends, mutual friends are around, and. And the question came. It didn't actually come from Louie. It came from a mutual friend, a third friend. She walks right up to us. And I can can remember like it was yesterday. And she says, you know, there is just something different about you. She goes, you're just a really nice guy. Just a lot of fun. Kind of the life of the party. You've got a lot of life in you and energy in you. I would just love to know, what is it about you? And I, you know, I thought, I kind of blushed, and I looked down at my shoes humbly, and I I thought, this is my moment. And I lifted up my head, and I looked at her, and I realized, she wasn't talking to me. (laughs) She's looking at Louie. How is it that my pagan, non-Christian friend Louie became the witness? (sighs) What's the meaning of this? You know, what does it mean? thought about it a lot since then. I, I think what it is is that Louis was just being Louis. I, on the other hand, was trying to be something spectacular. I was trying to be something that I was not. I was reaching for something that I thought Louis wanted me to be, something maybe that God wanted me to be, something that I wanted myself to be, but it wasn't any of it who I was. I looked as silly as an Elvis impersonator. Right. I mean, that's the fun of Elvis impersonators. If you've ever been to Atlantic City or or Wildwood, New Jersey, when the convention is on, it's brilliant. Right. They come flying out of airplanes. They're up and down the boardwalk. And the more Elvis impersonators, the better, because that's the gag. They really don't look like Elvis. And yet here I was trying to be something that I was not. And in the process of that, I was not present to anybody around me. I was only present to myself. See, but Louis could, be, Louis could be present to the people around him. He could be involved in their lives. He could notice who they were and make them smile. I couldn't do that. See, the adventure that Jesus calls us to is not only to be present to Jesus, but it's to be present to the people around us, to be with them, to be observant with them. You don't have to be spectacular. Sometimes we think, I should be a witness for Jesus. I'm going to be smarter than my coworker, Be able to answer all their questions. I've got to be more virtuous, more morally superior. I've got to uh, uh, be more successful than I have a platform. Jesus doesn't show any interest in that. He just wants you to be present to the people in your life, to your neighbors. I like the way Eugene Peterson puts this. He writes, Jesus enables us to take seriously who we are and where we are without being seduced by the intimidating lies and illusions that fill the air and trying to be someone else or somewhere else. Jesus keeps our feet on the ground, attentive to children, in conversation with ordinary people, sharing meals with friends and strangers, listening to the wind, observing the wildflowers, touching the sick and wounded, praying simply and unselfconsciously. Jesus insists that we deal with God right here and now, in the place we find ourselves and with the people we are with. Jesus is God here and now. This is still the way Jesus is God among us. And and this is what is still so hard to believe. It's hard to believe that this marvelous work of salvation is presently taking place in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our governments, in our schools and businesses, in our hospitals, on the roads we drive and down the corridors we walk, among the people whose names we know. The ordinariness of Jesus was a huge roadblock to belief in his identity and work in the days of his flesh. It is still. A roadblock. See, see that the apostles are going to live the greatest adventure with Jesus in this book called Acts. A wonderful, mind-expanding world with Jesus. But it's not because they have a plan or a strategy. It's simply because they pay attention to the presence and the activity of Jesus through the Spirit in the world around them. They're noticing the neighbors. They're noticing the neighborhoods. And they see God's grace. That's why in the book of Acts, you find that apostles are constantly being surprised. Wow. Be surprised. You have to pay attention. Well, we experience the adventure of living with Jesus, of serving with Jesus, when we respond to two invitations from him, to be present to him. And to be present to our neighbors. Jesus invites us, be present to me. And be present to the people around you. I had the privilege of working one summer with John Perkins in uh, Northwest Pasadena uh, neighborhood, eight blocks as he uh, circumscribed it, that had the highest homicide rate in the state of California. John Perkins said, we're we're just going to make our home in this neighborhood. And and we're going to live with the people there. And and Perkins so wisely said that the New Testament church is not the church everywhere. It's the church somewhere. See, and you and I are the church somewhere. God has assigned us to our neighbors intentionally and hopefully, optimistically. The word has become flesh and moved into the neighborhood, John tells us. So what is your neighborhood? Think about it for a moment. What's your neighborhood? Our former mayor, Mayor Nichols, tells us that Seattle is a city of neighborhoods. And most maps just of Seattle, let alone Puget Sound area, list 45 distinct neighborhoods. In each of these neighborhoods, there are particular needs, particular resources. There's a shared identity. There's an us there. Isn't there? Redmond, for example, has a slogan: "We're the bicycle capital of the Northwest." The Ballard slogan is "Yashur Yabecha." Linwood <laughs> thinks of itself as the Lin Hood, and Fremont, which is, of course, the center of the universe, has a model, "De Libertas Corcas," which is "Free to be bizarre." <laughs> and Jesus sets us free in all kinds of ways. What is your neighborhood? Your neighborhood is really where you live. It's where you spend your time. And for some of us, that's not actually our physical home. Maybe we live in a place where we can't really get to know the people around us. Some of us don't spend much time in our physical home. We find ourselves up before the sun and home after it's gone down, and we spend our time in a hospital. And that's really our neighborhood. Or if you're a high schooler, your neighborhood might be the corridors of your school or the playing fields. Maybe your neighborhood is a nursing home and the staff, and the residents in that facility. And maybe your nursing home home may be Seattle, downtown. Uh, Your neighborhood may be downtown in an office uh, building. Or maybe in this day and age, you have a virtual neighborhood. The people around you who are closest to you are somewhere in cyberspace. It doesn't matter. What matters is you have neighbors, you have a neighborhood, and you need to understand who they are because Jesus is pointing you towards them. God loves them all. God loved the world so much He gave His only begotten Son. And He will not be satisfied until they join us in saying, It's for us. He's for us. What will it mean for you this week to be present to Jesus in a new way? To be filled with His Holy Spirit? What will it mean for you this week, to be present to your neighborhood in a new way, to notice. Think about it. I want to give you an assignment, if you choose to accept it. I'm, I'm going to give it to myself, and that is to take a prayer walk in my neighborhood. Whatever you decide your neighborhood is, at some point this week, let's walk through that space and pray while we do. You want to pray with your eyes open so that you don't injure yourself. Also, you want to pray with your eyes open so that you can notice, notice needs, notice needs. Notice people whom God loves. Notice opportunities. Notice maybe evidence that the Spirit of Jesus is breaking into lives, is moving into that particular neighborhood. Uh, finally, I just want to close with uh, one word, this is, and that is relax. Relax. If we orient ourselves in these two simple ways to the presence of Jesus and being present to our neighbors, we will be witnesses. Jesus is very confident. You don't have to take any responsibility for that. He does. He says, you shall be my witnesses. That's not a command. That's a promise. The Spirit of Jesus is going to do that for us. Let's pray and give thanks to Him now. Thank you, Jesus, risen from the dead, present to us now through the Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in our lives, in our neighborhoods. May we be commissioned right now to go. May we even lift up in the quiet of our hearts the names of our, lab- our neighborhoods and the people we know to whom you have already sent us and who- in whose lives you are already at work, that we might know the joy of participating with you in that work. Go with us, and as we come back next week, may we have all the more reason to celebrate who you are, your great grace, and your risen uh, presence in our midst uh, because of what we've seen you do in the lives of people around us this week. We pray in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206 extension 117.